You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, episode 43. Today, our special guest is Dr. Yaron Seidman, and we're discussing Hun Yuan, heart, body, and medicine. Hey, everybody. I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fiona Gitchum. And today, we're talking to Dr. Yaron Seidman. Hi, Yaron. Hi, guys. Good to be here. It's great to have you with us. Dr. Seidman is a scholar of Chinese medicine, having practiced and researched in the field for the past 25 years. He's an international teacher and lecturer and founder of the Hun Yuan Research Institute, which now has branches all over the world. Dr. Seidman was awarded a Doctor of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine degree by Five Branches University in San Jose, California, following a two-year fellowship and a 300-hour IVF clinic internship. He has authored a number of books, a Voyage Through Humanity, Poems of the Heart, The Hunyuan Method for Fertility, The Chinese Medicine Cure, Curing Infertility, The Incredible Hunyuan Breakthrough, Hunyuan Fertility, Conception, Babies and Miracles, Hunyuan Xinfa, The Lost Heart of Medicine, Hunyuan Xinfa Workbook, Chinese Medicine Liberation, Inner Documents, and Hai Xuan Collection, Translation and Commentary, 2016. Next year in 2018, Yaron is going to be teaching a brand new version of his Hun Yuan Medicine course for practitioners. The course will be Hun Yuan Body Heart Medicine. Details of this course can be found at hunyuan.org. You can find articles and useful information and resources for practitioners at hunyuaninstitute.com. Yaron consults online with patients from around the world and his clinic is based in Connecticut. His clinic website is hunyuancenter.com. The Heavenly Chi podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode. If you really enjoy our show, please rate us on iTunes. Yaren, we've we've got some great discussion notes from you. Um, the first one is, what is the general idea of Hunyuan? Life medicine, circular motion, and being connected. And so perhaps you can present to us this, uh, what this topic is about today. Uh, well, first, uh, thank you, uh, Claire and Fiona, <clears throat> for having me. I think what you guys are doing is is wonderful to promote uh, knowledge in general and this now talking about the uh, Hunyuan uh, I can only share my own personal opinion how I kind of developed it or adopted the uh, Chinese medicine to become what it is today in Hunyuan medicine it's uh, its origin is in Chinese medicine but Chinese medicine of course has a wide variety of topics and approaches and I, I chose to to focus more on things that, uh, in my opinion, relate more to life or being alive and what does it mean to be alive. Like I found a special interest in that area, uh, which I think many do. But so as I investigate Chinese medicine throughout uh, history, I, I had that gravitation towards people that talk about life or reflect about life and and I find that there was that thread throughout Chinese medicine of, of uh, 
that part or that group of people that really like to reflect on this situation. And what I find in common to to all of them is is this, or not to all of them, but to many of them, is this uh, idea of circular motion. Like that uh, to describe life, we need to use a circle. In ancient Chinese philosophy, some would call it the Taiji principle, especially started from the Song dynasty about a thousand years ago from a very famous master called Shao Yong or Shao Tzu. And he had like that Taiji philosophy, <clears throat> basically drawing a circle, a simple circle and saying that it represents the infinite and it's like the universe and the energy in the universe is infinite. So not only it does not have a beginning and end, but it does move in circular motions if it's the seasons that repeats itself, if it's the sun coming and going, if it's the revolution of the stars and planets and so forth and so forth. They all, you know, when we go into that principle, what does it mean to be alive or have life or where is it coming from? It ties very closely together to an idea of a circle. That thing in Chinese we call the Taiji principle. You know, during the Song Dynasty, we also have other people, other philosophers like Zhou Dunyi, and then say that Taiji actually has yin and yang aspects to it and came up with the drawing of the two fish that we all know, the yin and yang fish, you know, with the eyes of the fish. <clears throat> but uh, the school of thought that I'm following actually think that the real principle is not with the duality or with the division, but rather with that idea of Taiji, of uh, infinite source of energy here described as a circle or circular motion. If you want me just to describe in a few words what does Hunyuan mean, what it's about, where is it coming from, it's more or less that kind of a thing. It's trying to figure out what is this continuity, what is this uh, being connected all the time, not just when I'm here connected to things around me, but also connected to the ancestor, connected to my offspring, you know, like the lifeline that comes through the generations. This is all within the spectrum of Hunyuan philosophy, generally speaking, what is Hunyuan? Before, before we go into the small details of different aspects and different, uh, you know, practical things that we do and so forth. So, so this is like a kind of an overview of, of what is Hunyuan, where is it coming from. And I, if, if you want, I also just mention in a few words that this Hunyuan for me has three aspects, as you see in the title of the talk, the body, the heart, and the medicine. And these came to me from different sources, not from one source. So as far as the body, how to cultivate the body and to follow this cyclical and Taiji principle <clears throat> I, I learned from uh, Feng Jiqiang who was uh, a very famous master in Beijing in China and his teacher Hu Yaojian they all kind of developed this body exercises that are in circular motion and they, he called it Hunyuan Taiji art and Hunyuan Qigong and that's where I got the name from about the heart, I came to the Huai Xuan school that you mentioned before. I translated some of their works in the Huai Xuan collection. And there are kind of school from about 200 years ago in Sichuan, from the Qing dynasty. Their originator's name is Liu Yuan. And he has his, you know, uh, sons and grandsons and great grandson who is alive today that I had the opportunity to study with. 
and this school mainly talks about the heart and how to cultivate the heart. They kind of synthesize all the three religions in China, Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism into one kind of a melting pot, trying to extract the, this idea of the heart and what it takes. And at the end, I have this medicine part, which I kind of synthesize the Chinese medicine classics, mainly the Shang Han Lun, but also the other main classics, the Yellow Emperor, Ling Shu, etc., trying to find out things that are related to this cyclical motion, to the understanding of being connected, you know, like the ancient Chinese uh, medicine used to say, heaven and man unite, and that kind of thing. So then I, at the end, for me, in my mind, in my heart, in my body, merged all of them together into one understanding that to be a practitioner is you need to have a strong, healthy body that sync with the Taiji principle. You need a very harmonious heart that also sync with this principle. And then if we're doctors or practitioners, need to incorporate this principle into helping other people. So the heart and the body first is to help myself, but of course also to others if I teach them that. And medicine is, is what we normally say, is you treat other people and help other people. But uh, just to summarize it, I find that <clears throat> for me, for many years, it was kind of off to see many doctors are kind of sick and yet they prescribe drugs or medicine or herbs or acupuncture, but them, themselves they're not really so healthy and the heart is not really so harmonious. So I just thought, you know, as far as, and for many years I had that thought, I said, wow, you know, if a doctor maybe will go to medicine school and just learn a little bit meditation and cultivation, it will be much better, not just the technique, how to prescribe herbs or drugs or surgeries or something. So this is what I'm trying to do going forward to combine this self-cultivation of the body and the heart and medicine all into one, you know, one body of learning. I really like that idea of, you know, encouraging practitioners to be not, you know, not only talking the talk, but also walking the walk and, you know, making sure that we're actually embodying the principles that we're trying to convey to our, to our patients. Yeah, I think so. Leading by example. I think it allows for a lot, a lot greater um, authenticity and integrity in the way that you relate with your patients. If you can say, hey, you know what, I do this, you know, I, I'm telling you to do it and I know that it, that it can be done because I do it myself or I have done this myself, um, you know, it allows patients, I think, to have a greater sense of trust in what you're saying. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, but the, even more so, I think, I mean, in the in the art of medicine, like how to do herbs and acupuncture, like Western medicine, drugs and surgeries, maybe we don't have to self-cultivate, and it's nonetheless techniques. You learn how to diagnose, you prescribe, and it becomes kind of an external kind of uh, application. But when we get to this heart part of medicine, first to try to find out myself how to me myself be in peace in harmony this is a challenge on its own but more so to start to recognize that problem with other people i at that point i don't call them patients anymore because if we have to call people that have some disharmony in the heart patients it basically includes everybody but i just call people you know, to try to feel into the heart, and, and this is not that kind of regular sympathy or empathy. It's not that empathy. But rather really to feel that this harmony in the heart, this requires absolutely 
rigorous self-cultivation of one's own heart. You cannot have heart in turmoil and then pretend to try to understand what's going on in the other people's hearts. So even more so than medicine, like the, the doing prescription and acupuncture. So this, maybe you can do it. Like you can, don't have to be that healthy and you can still practice it. But, but about the heart, I think it's impossible. Like a person has to work on themselves a lot first. And so it's not just telling the patient, look, I'm doing it, you could too. That's a good thing on its own, but also getting to that gong fu, like to, to that ability to penetrate deep. From my little experience, I think it's it's very necessary to self, to work on one, oneself, you know. Mm. Mm. I love this topic, you know, this is know thyself. And it really is potent. The more that you know yourself, and it's not just familiarity, but it's also really looking at yourself honesty and being able to inquire and confront and investigate within yourself that then allows you to recognize the same in other people because, you know, on those fundamental levels of the heart and what may or may not motivate us truly, and some people can, all of us have learned how to hide motivations in this culture as well. I think that that somehow opens that inner eye and allows us as a practitioner, a physician, to see into the other's heart. And there's just no way to open that inner eye any other path. I mean, there's many paths that will lead to that practice. But if you're not knowing yourself, that eye will not open. Yeah, amen. Right. Yeah, I love what you're saying. <laughs> it reminds me of a... Um, uh, when I was doing my yoga teacher training and there was, you know, my teacher was very much into, you know, like you've got to actually embody this practice. You can't just, like it wasn't an eight-week teacher training. It was a two-and-a-half-year teacher training. It was designed to be transformational. And one of the ideas that, you know, they were very, um, very big on cultivating in us as future teachers was, the idea, well, I guess the difference between, in, a, in the yoga culture anyway, the difference between a guru and, and a teacher. So a guru was, was considered to be lower down, like a teacher, the word for a teacher is acharya, and that was considered to be a much higher, um, you know, required a much higher level of, of knowledge because a guru was, you know, was kind of like a signpost. Their job was to say, oh, the way to enlightenment is right down this road here and I've seen many people go down there and I know what's down there, but I'm just going to kind of point you in the in the direction, whereas the, the role of the teacher is to actually to have been there themselves before and to be able to guide that person the whole way along their journey. And I think that that's, you know, similar to what you're mentioning here. It's not the idea of being perfect within ourselves every day in terms of, you know, like things happen sometimes, you know, we get bad news. There might be, um, you know, something within ourselves that's unsettled us. But at least if we've got that connection with ourselves, we can be aware of what's going on and, um, you know, be able to accommodate for that in the way we're interacting with, well, with anyone in our lives, not just with the people that we're treating. Yeah, nice. <clears throat> I think so. I just when you mentioned the word the uh, guru, 
it reminds me of myself quite a few years ago, you know, when I was very into studying classical Chinese medicine and Tai Chi and learning for, I mean, searching for the right teacher and trying to become a disciple, you know, all this traditional Chinese thing. And that was part of my history years, years back. And I just remember my wife many years ago saying, uh, what with the discipleship and what are you guys doing? You light candles and you have that uh, thing, you know, like the mysterious thing and discipleship. I don't know what connotation she had in her mind. But <laughs> but I'm just uh, reflecting back on it because I'm looking at it today and I still think that not just today, but throughout history, people sometimes got to that place and and got stuck there in the you know in the traditional idea of i'm just mentioning it because you mentioned guru but actually mm. i feel many years later trying to teach and just taking off all these dresses of it looks like discipleship or something it's just so much pure you know just trying to help people and give your heart all what you have in your heart forget about all the the dressing up of the things, the exterior thing, how it looks like. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think maybe that's a, also a difference between a guru and a teacher. A teacher is like really his heart is there, and it doesn't matter if people think that he's on top of the mountain or not. You know, like a super being. It's like more pure. Like you can have very, like when I used to go to the Hua Xuan school, and uh, Liu Bogu is this guy, great grandson of the founder. He looks just like an old guy. You're not even going to look at him twice on the street. But when you kind of dig deeper and deeper, it's like a marvelous world, you know. But it's very simple looking and unassuming. One of the Hua Xuan uh, uh, friends that I have said, you know, the thing about Hua Xuan practitioners is like, that they're all very ordinary. They're like really ordinary people. You can't see anything assuming about them, but nonetheless, they are very special. You know, and this is that kind, that kind of attitude about the heart. Like it's not in the assuming any postures or, or anything. It's just be very simple, you know. You're talking to your son or daughter, what, you're making a posture of a father? You're a real father. You don't like pretend to be a father. You know, so... That, that's that's my opinion about pure transmission. Just give it your real heart, and and you don't need too much um, external appearance or or show to put a show. But again, I don't know if it uh, vibrates with you exactly with the guru idea, but that's what triggered in me, say guru versus the teacher. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not enough just to kind of point the way and go, oh well, good luck. <laughs> All, all the best on your journey. I've never been there, but you know, hope it's okay. I think I think it's much better to you know, to to be able to hold you know all different types of. I guess what I'm trying to say is the way the way that patients are, the way that people are. You know, they can often they're coming to us when they are suffering. You know, and to be able to hold a really good solid space for them whilst they're in the healing process it does require you know just to be authentic and just to be ourselves in a way that's you know it's not about us it's about them yeah i think you know i want to maybe elaborate a little bit about the hard part 
at least just share with with my experience over the past few years it's like um i think over time the more i try to practice it myself the more when i talk to people at least in the clinic but also outside of the clinic there start to be a little bit like more direction i wanted to say more clarity but that's kind of misleading it's like more direction when i talk to them it's like it becomes clear that i should say that right now like for example yesterday i had a patient and she's kind of crying with the doctors you know discouraging her with the ivfs and all this stuff fertility treatments so she's crying and crying and crying so I said, no problem. I always have a big uh, box of tissues in my drawer and I put the box out and she's crying and crying. And I, all of a sudden I felt like t- telling her, you know, there's only two tissues limit here. <laughs> and this, and this like all of a sudden turned her heart and she was not sad anymore. Like, like what's going on? All of a sudden, you know, the heart start moving in a different way just by the little joke that I said. But mm-hmm. but other patients, I would not say it. It just felt right with that person. Yeah. It's not that I'm telling it to everybody. It's not a regular joke. But so I think that's what I mean. There's a direction. Like all of a sudden I talk to that person and it has to go in this direction, the conversation or what we should talk about and what I should say. You know, it, it reminds me just because you mentioned yoga before and and this is nothing has to do with yoga but rather more with people i remember one person told me she came from a yoga class and she just wanted to do yoga stretching but the teacher is is like kept on talking about you know being peace and being this and not doing the exercises just talking philosophy but but that person you know didn't vibrate with it so it's not a problem of the teacher or problem of the student. It's just that they couldn't make that connection. Like there was a disconnect what the teacher wanted to do and what the student wanted to do and they couldn't bridge. So I think, you know, like the more we work on ourselves on the heart, uh, even if we want to talk philosophy, and again, this has nothing to do with yoga. It could actually be in the acupuncture clinic every day that you kind of say what you think is right, but it does not really vibrate 100% right. So this is more like the hard aspect uh, that we need to bring more in the clinic. What, what you're just talking about, I use the word communion to describe that process with myself. Um, <clears throat> and, and as it is connected to the knowing of the self and how you can see suddenly when you're working with someone, some part of what's going on with them may open up and be shown to you. and and it, and that's when you are in that communion state that your hearts there's actually heart science about this you probably know about but how we go into synchronicity with people when we're really connecting and that's when we are on the same page and we have that connect rather than a disconnect well this these words that you're using is a completely common hunyuan uh, uh, verbiage. We always talk about synchronicity, about being connected, about being in harmony. That that's the whole thing. Like that's the the essence of the matter. You know. So yeah. I uh, completely agree. You know? I think it's great that mm-hmm. you're teaching it because I think it's it's difficult to learn it 
for yourself. And I think that there's very few people in the world of Chinese medicine who are even talking about it, let alone teaching it, you know, on on that kind of, you know, official institutional level. Yeah. Well, I... I mentioned to you before before we started recording this book project that I worked on, this Chinese medicine liberation. Actually, many people helped me, as I told you, maybe 20 people. But that, that book, when I worked, I worked on it for about three years, but that book helped me a lot. It's completely not related to the topic that we're talking about here, except that it completely opened my eyes to realize why do people don't teach the heart anymore? that thing that you just said. It's like, you know, the transformation that went in the 20th century with science, with communism and all that stuff, until it brought the medicine to what it is today, they completely dropped out the spirit, the heart. You know, I mean, some people do it and it's kind of optional and, and you know, do it a little bit at your own time, at your own will. It's really not part of the main curriculum. If you want, go and do some retreat somewhere by yourself. That's right. It's definitely such an optional part of the Chinese medicine curriculum that, you know, I've also had a parallel track spending my time with with shamans and and with people who are in their heart in that way. I I try to avoid using a particular range of language and terminology around it because for me even part of it is, is that when I'm really being authentic in that way that you've described, just being in the moment, not doing the performance of my role in life, um, the words I use to describe things can be original and unique each time I speak about them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind yeah. authentic, yeah. Yeah, and so I love to hear that there, um, that you are, are teaching this in Chinese medicine. Yeah, I mean, the... The heart part and the body part in the courses that I gave in the last few years, which were much smaller and shorter, like just six months courses, you know, I involved a little bit every time we talk a little bit. But then, you know, but I myself read a lot and translate a lot and try to work on myself a lot. And I, at the end, it struck me. I said, the the curriculum needs to be like this. There needs to be a lot of heart in it needs to be a lot of body cultivation, not a little bit, and it should not be optional to go by yourself, do something, just to pretend that you're uh, esoteric, Eastern something, go to do a seven-day retreat. I, I think it's like it needs to be all the time. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be, because at the end, I think, in my opinion, what people need in the 21st century is a different kind of option. And the different kind of option is not herbs instead of drugs or acupuncture instead of surgery. I mean, this is also an option, but that's not the full meaning for me of a different option. A different option is like practitioners that have heart and they they see this whole situation of sitting with another person and helping them. It's like, you know, a heavenly thing. You know, like you sit there, you're happy, it radiates from you. It's not It's not a trade. It's not like we're selling cars or something. It needs to be a very different heart that happens in that, maybe you can call it transaction. So I think, you know, it requires a lot more of cultivation in that area rather than just something optional. That's what I think. Oh, I fully agree. 
You know, I think for me, I look back on, um, you know, I've done all of my heart awareness stuff outside of the world of Chinese medicine. You know, I've done, you know, various different approaches through yoga and through different types of um, different types of personal development. Um, and and that for me that's been an ongoing process. You know, I've been doing that probably well from the age of about sixteen. I realised that mm, okay, this is uh, this is something that I really really want to do with my life, and I think that you know I need to cultivate this aspect of myself, or it's not really going to be a great life for me, because I'm a very sensitive person and realise that it um, is not just a curse. You know, to be to be you know picking up on people's energies and to be feeling vulnerable I felt like I wanted it to become a real strength of mine and um, I think it'd be yeah I'm so excited to hear that this is <laughs> this is what you're doing I didn't really quite know what to expect from today's episode and now I'm uh, I'm really excited because I think this is such a great such a great resource for practitioners all over the world well, I, I can share with you, uh, I mean, thanks for the positive feedback, but, uh, but I can share with you that when I came upon the Huai Xuan School, I also felt very, very excited. You know, I mean, I got to them through the Chinese medicine part because uh, I, I, you know, I was studying Shang Han Lun for a long time and then I got to the Fire Spirit School. I'm not sure if you know them or not, but they're like a Sichuanese school that used a lot of hot herbs. And then I found out that their founder, Zheng Qing'an, studied with a teacher named Liu Yuan. So that's how kind of I climbed through him. I mean, he died many, you know, centuries, two centuries ago. But but then I found out his teacher and I came, I started looking for people that still do it. And when I found what they were doing and, and the literature that I, I got exposed to, I was as if something that was missing for many, many years, you know, I found it all of a sudden because uh, in Chinese medicine, in, in a couple of decades that I researched it, I saw many times they talking they are talking about the seven emotions and this, but really what it means and how to go about it and how to solve it, I found very very little information. And when I got to the Huai Xuan School, it was like all talking about that, like you know the ancients they say all diseases start from the heart. But really, what does it mean, and what should we do about it? There was it was always a dead end. And then when I got to this Hua Xuan, they all talk about it, and they are very systematic and very detailed about understanding it, what to do, how to practice it, where is it going when we're practicing it, what can come out of it. And this is so beautiful. And for me, it was like wow, I was completely, you know, impressed. And uh, so then I stuck ever with it, and I kind of developing it more because Liu Yuan, I mean, he said a couple of things that were very important for me. One, he says, really a sage is in everybody's heart. Everybody is a sage. It's not just like Confucius two, 2,500 years ago, someone that is distant and far. The sage is really in the person's heart if he cultivates it. But more so he said the sage or the sage heart, which means it's right now. It's not somewhere in the past and it's not something lofty. This sage heart has no boundaries, has no borders. And he specifically in his mind 
probably talking about Buddhism coming from India, he said, you know, because at the Qing dynasty, people said that Buddhism is foreign religion, it's not really Chinese. And he said, no, a sage heart, it doesn't matter if you're Indian or Chinese or European. If you have the sage heart, you have it. And so that I found was really right on. And the other thing that he said that was very important for me, uh, if you don't mind me just going on and on, but 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 what was very important is that he says, at the end, the most difficult and high-level things are very simple, close at hand. You know, like father and son, husband and wife, that kind of kinships from Confucianism. Regular stuff, writing a letter, sitting in this interview, you do things that are like very simple. I mean, this interview is very special, but you do common things, but but if your heart is in it, you can reach the, the highest realm, you know, and, and that for me was like very important. And the last thing I wanted to mention from him, he says, look, at the end, this heart you have to find in your time period where you are, in your custom, in your culture, you cannot just copy, you cannot have that dress, you know, like you're looking Chinese, you're burning incense and you pretend to do something that you're not. So this is part of what I'm doing with the Huai Xuan, making it like Hun Yuan. Basically it means I use modern understanding, modern notions to take these old ideas and make them very readily available to people. I talk in regular English, I stop using the ancient names, even with medicine. Instead of saying Shao Yang, Yang Ming, which I did for many years, I called, I, I understood what they mean and I called them, you know, concealed separation and concealed movement or whatever, regular names that people understand and I'm not hiding behind the names anymore. Like, I don't know what's Yang Ming, you know, so I'm hiding behind it. You just say it regular. So these are the things that I brought from the Huai Xuan and I'm kind of making it my own. I'm thinking about you were you know talking about there are people with the sage heart um, and if you have it you have it and and how the internal cultivation of the heart is presented as optional in courses usually um, but when I meet people who are real internal cultivators it's usually not an optional life event or optional experience that led them to be that way so this is also an, a really potent area of amazing life skills that are so valuable in medicine and, and in helping people heal because it's, it's life events and experiences that change the harmony in the body as well. Yeah. Do you have like specific uh, example or something you were thinking about? Oh, well, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's so many for me being a physician and especially when I'm taking, I'm first meeting someone and hearing their story and their medical history, um, that's when all those connections start to come through for me that, you know, someone's had an experience in life that's created a certain um, emotions and reactions and internal dialogue or triggering them and that's the beginning of their chi going out of harmony and then eventually if it goes on for long enough and they're unable to resolve what's happening to them in their heart then it becomes physical yeah yeah for sure mm. 
So I, I mean, related to what you say, you know, the way I understand the heart, coming most of it coming from the Huai Shuan again, but some of it I developed myself. You know, we what I liked about learning the Huai Shuan is that they have like a forward-looking approach, you know, as far as the heart is concerned. In other words, they say, and and if if we have a few minutes, I'll just give you the whole idea of this heart medicine. Sure. They say, you know, when the baby is inside the womb, his heart is in a state of unity with the mother because he does not see the day or light. He does not really need to breathe to survive. You know, everything comes through the umbilical cord. But then they say, you know, when the baby falls to the ground, that's the ancient way of saying the baby's come out at birth and you cut the cord, then the heart of the baby has to change from that state of unity into something that, you know, they had their Chinese name, and I just call it in regular English terms, a dichotomy. Of course, the Chinese names were different in 200 years ago. But it changes into a state of dichotomy or basic instincts of likes and dislikes. So in order to survive now in nature, not connected to the mother physically with the cord, his heart has to realize that he's running out of energy. They cut the cord and there's no more energy. And if you don't like it, after two minutes, you're dead. So he has to start not having a survival instinct to say, I don't like it, I don't like it. And that then allows him to expand the energy from the center and then take a, a breath in, an inhalation. But then when he inhales and the oxygens come to the lungs, he starts to relax and say, I like it, I like it, and then he can exhale. And this circle, this Taiji circle now repeats itself all the way until the end of life where he feels uncomfortable for running out of oxygen and then comfortable again when he breathes in. But this, of course, then expands more and more, and I'm, I'm very brief here in the description, but it goes into the food and when he realized that he needs more energy of the kind of food of milk, he expects his mother to give him the milk, but if she doesn't give him the milk, then his dichotomy fires up. He doesn't like it. And if she does not give him the milk still, then the emotions start to come out from that. Then he starts to be really frustrated and angry. And that anger, the energy pushes into the body and he starts moving his arms and legs and his face becomes red and he's crying in such a cry that nobody can tolerate this because it's so pure. It's so about existential things. It's not really, I'm crying because I lost my car. It's like, I need the food or I'm dead. And that, that kind of cry, nobody can tolerate. It's like very pure. But this is, but then if the mother gave him the milk, his dichotomy will come down or will be satisfied. And this is what we call the basic dichotomy or the warrior. The heart instinct that allows us to survive in nature but now it's it's in reference to what you just said before, what happens to people throughout their life. This is what creates different people to cultivate different dichotomies. Our upbringing, what happens with my siblings, with my parents, with the neighbors, with, uh, with the babysitters, all my life. How did people handle me that my dichotomy start to behave differently? At the end, if you fast forward 50 years, you see few different people all react differently to the same stimulation. Like if a certain person is going to tell person A, B, C, and D the same thing, they will react differently. It's not like we're robots. 
And this is what everybody would call the character of the person, right? Like how we behave, how we react, if we are patient, if we're angry, intolerant, that kind of thing. But in the Huai Shuan, that's what I learned from them. They said, look, in the center of the heart, everybody's the same. Everybody is as pure as that infant that just came out of the womb. Before the dichotomy start to shape up because of life events. And so the, what we strive for is to try to retrain the dichotomy to go back to what they call the baby in the womb. Meaning that I really move my heart just for things that I really, really need. I need to breathe. I need to eat. I need to make some money to make the bills. But I don't really need more and more and more in a kind of a desire way that is never being satisfied. And the more we get into the center, we call it, the more this pure heart can come out. And then this is when a person starts to say, not like I need it, I need it, but rather he starts to be beneficial to others. He effortlessly help other people. If the dichotomy is moving and I want to help other people, and this is my own mm -hmm. personal experience in the clinic. Like I used to see many patients during the day, maybe 10, 15 patients, and at the end of the day, be completely wiped out. And I had good intention, I really want to help, and I was helping them, and they said, great, it's helping me. But now, you know, I talk to people, sometime initial consultation is two or three hours. I talk and talk as if there's no tomorrow, whatever the occasion requires. It's like, I don't care, I don't need to go anywhere, and I've got nothing else to do. And at the end of the day, even though I talked very lengthy and deep conversation for a long, long time. I leave the clinic and I feel as if it's morning. Like I feel very refreshed and happy. And there's not that little bit of tiredness that I used to have, you know, from trying to help people. There's no helping. It becomes much more effortless. Like you do it and it's fun. It's like you're having fun. You can't get tired when you're having fun. <laughs> not that superficial fun it's like you really feel that you're happy you know and so this is you know the objective that's the method that's the the bulk of the story what's the heart what, what are we working of course there are many methods and ways how to try to cultivate it just thinking about it, it's not going to do it you know oftentimes i tell my students you know it's like people that want to learn how to jump far you know, in the Olympics and stuff. You can say you need to jump like this, but if you don't train it every day, at the end you go to jump and you just jump like, you know, 20 centimeters. Like you have to practice it every day until really effortlessly you can jump really far. And so that's that's the whole idea behind heart, heart cultivation, you know, the stood, what I got mm -hmm. from Hawaii and you know, that kind of thing. You know, as you were talking about the, um, you know, the baby and the, the crying and that that kind of those primal needs needing to be met. It reminded me of, um, you know, when my daughter was very young and, um, you know, I'm sure that any woman who's ever been a breastfeeding mother would be able to identify th with this as well, is that you hear a baby crying and that, you know, that's, that scream, that cry that nobody can ignore within seconds for a breastfeeding woman. It will, like, you'll get a, a letdown of milk. Yeah, it, it just exactly. happens. It's Absolutely. like it's been split seconds, and it can even be someone else's baby. It can even be thinking about your baby crying. It can cause it to happen, and and it's it's fascinating that 
you know that heart connection is so strong and that that the physical reaction in your body happens so instantaneously yeah absolutely and also think about it i think in my opinion if you look at the hundred infants of all kinds from wherever they are it's almost impossible not to like fall in love with all of them it's like you can't look at the two days old infant and feel upset by looking at them like different than if you look at older kids or adults that the dichotomy is much more kind of crafted in different ways you know so it's like the heart the original heart of the person is a very pure thing like you mm. you look at it and it melts you you know it's like it's like it's so pure because that baby he really just want the most existential things for his life he just need milk and warmth or something he does not need another shirt or another diaper or anything this is what the adult thinks the baby just take the diapers off so he can put poop in the corner but it really does not need anything except very existential thing and this is the real purpose of the dichotomy to be a defender of life a warrior that defends life not one that has agendas and and you know my mind i'm not even sure what i want anymore mm, our complexities are so uncomfortable for you know for each other yeah so but but this you know we start very early on to to start to cultivate in for the huai shuan they call it the dao heart versus the human heart you know that what i call a dichotomy they call it the human heart they say underneath the human heart there is the dao heart but the dao heart today you say to modern people i don't know what you're talking about so we call it center or the true nature of the person that's what underneath that dichotomy like the true nature of the person of the human being is of giving of helping but not helping from the ego like look at me how helpful i am what a nice guy i am but rather it's really effortless you know it's like you you see a cat that needs some milk so you give it a milk and you feel nothing the cat just got life but you don't feel wow look at me what a sage i am giving milk you know that's like when it comes from the dichotomy even if i want to do good it feels like this like you say wow look at me what a great guy giving milk but think about it like when the mother gives milk to the baby it's not like hey look at me <laughs> it's like mm. it's nothing it's like taking an apple eating an apple like giving life and making life happen when the dichotomy is really on center is very simple you look at it you cannot see it because it's so simple you know like you take an apple you eat it it's giving life you don't say wow look at the apple but the human heart is like is with the years learn to cultivate all kind of patterns that you know they take energy either from me or from other people they just take too much energy instead of giving life all around that's the real objective you know just give life all around to yourself to others and uh so that's the process of but i think you know the way we we're just talking about it this is i think is a huge part of medicine it's not just like a side uh, subject you know if you make you make the heart like so giving and and the the person's heart in front of you start to have their heart also giving and not taking they start to supplement their life and many many diseases go away 
in in a way that you would not believe you know at least in my experience it's like it's really curing diseases just that you know need to work on myself first and i cannot just say okay i graduated after two minutes and let's just start working on other people that's the problem with doing heart as medicine we just have to be good first and then we can help other people can't can have a shortcut <laughs> it's it's uh, what you're describing not doing you know the effortless effort of not doing uh, in in Taoism and I'm just wondering about the origins of Hunyuan uh, in China is it is it coming through a Taoist lineage well I mean it's a short question but could I have a very long answer okay, I think <laughs> I mean, we can uh, just leave it at that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that's not accurate. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you a short answer. I mean, the the term Hunyuan has been used quite a long time. So, from the early Tang Dynasty, about 600s, you know, you already have commentator on Confucianism on the Book of Changes. You know, Confucius had some commentary, what's called the Wings of the I Ching of the Book of Changes, and then in the Tang Dynasty, you have commentators making reference to his idea of you know the unity that the unity divides like into two dualities and that divides into four elements and that divides into the eight trigrams there is that sort of division and this commentator about confucianism at that time say that you know what before there is duality the origin is mixed, this Taiji principle, the origin is mixed as one infinite power that is not divided into duality. And that's the meaning of, that's the Chinese term, Hunyuan, like mixed origin. So it refers to the Confucian models, the I Ching model of understanding what the nature and universe is. And, but specifically the words Hunyuan was, I found around from the Tang dynasty, people use it, but it was mentioned before too, the word Hunyuan. But really, but but the issue of if is it Taoist or Confucian? I think this start from the Han Dynasty about 2,000 years ago, where you really start having and seeing this division. Of course, that's also when Buddhism was introduced into China, at least mm -hmm. in a more big, serious form. So this, but I think, and for many many years, I had that thought that I said, look, when I look at Confucius and Laozi and Zhuangzi, you know, before the Han Dynasty, the ancient Taoist and Confucian it looks like they are very, very much in line in what they want to say. At least that was my sense, and I was, you know, a beginner at the time. And many, many years later, when I get to the Huaishuan school, actually I found that they said a similar thing. They said, look, Confucius, Manchus, and Lao Tzu, it's all one line of heart. Later, from the Han Dynasty, people say that's, Confu that's Confucianism, like the kinships, Taoism is more about the mysterious and each one start having their ceremonies and religious aspects. So the Huaishan school tried to go back to what they call the Confucius and Mencius and Laozi kind of heart, where there's no division. It's really whoever gets the idea of the truth is the same. That's why Liu Yuan, you know, from the Huaishan school says it's all, doesn't matter if you're a sage from India or from China. If you have that heart, you get it. If not, then it's all kind of religious dresses on the outside. So that, so that's not specifically talking about Hunyuan, but to your question, is it Taoist or Confucian? This is all like later 
segregation and, and trying to divide. I'm this and you're that. In reality, Hun Yuan, if we look back at Lao Tzu and Zhuang Tzu and Confucius and Manchus, just before the Han Dynasty, before there was that division, they all have the same heart. They all talk about this infinite universe power that we have to connect to, each one from his different angle, whatever angle. You know, the Lao Tzu talks about uh, the root is that stillness, stillness is returning to the origin. Why do we return to the origin? In order to recover life, to bring it back again, he says. And then Confucius has his own ideas how to describe the same thing, and likewise Mencius. They were all in the same heart, that we're connected to the universe, it's infinite power, and that we need to be plugged in, and the source of it in the human being is in the heart, it's not in the legs and not in the fingers, it's in the heart. And this, I think, they were all on par, including Buddhism was all on par on this. And uh, so what's the source of it, I think? probably all the three religions or maybe all the religions in the world in one way or the other if they talk mm -hmm. about the heart and being connected to the universe you know that's what i think you know one of the things that i found really interesting in the notes that you sent through ahead of time you know was the the use of music as a treatment method and i thought wow this is going to be really interesting and obviously speaking to you and you know, like we've spent a lot of time talking about heart um, and, you know, music, I imagine, would be a really great treatment tool to help with, um, you know, to help with harmonising someone's heart. How do you go about bringing that into your treatment? Uh, well, I'm, treatment? I'm actually working, I'm working with a friend of mine who's a musician. You know, I'm constantly striving to develop it, to find more things that can help. That's, that's the really the driving engine, like try to find more what can help. And, and I find that music could be very beneficial. So I'm working with this guy, uh, Rob, Rob Fried, who is a musician. He has a, a band that does only charities so for the last 10 years. They did like 50 concerts. They raised $2 million for local charities here in Connecticut. And he does some workshops with cancer survivors with music, trying to have them, you know, to, to compose a song and to get some healing there and stuff. But I've been working with him on developing the Hunyuan concept with music. And I, you know, with every time we meet every two weeks for like three hours, we work on it. And there's a lot of heart coming out of it and a lot of enlightenment we kind of uh, help each other a lot brainwash and a brainstorm I mean and uh, but specifically about music you know I think it's a big topic you know I looked at different things so for example I have some music from the pygmies who are like African tribes and I had some rare CDs that I got hold on uh, and I was thinking about it and I researched them and what struck me from the, the anthropologist that was researching them in, in the 1970s, he says the pygmies, they, you know, they sing in this and that harmonies and all the very complicated stuff, but they don't really learn the theory. They just know how to do it and they just practice it. It's not like they go to, to Juilliard to music school. They don't know the theory even be behind what they're singing. They just know to do it. And I look at some videos and pictures of them and they just take like a piece of uh, like a, a trunk of a tree 
and there's like 10 people sitting behind it. Each one's find few pieces of sticks and they kind of drumming on it with sticks. And I thought this is exactly what we need, not the African music. We're not in Africa and I'm not a pygmies, you know, in a tribe there. But they're doing exactly what Liu Yuan says. They just find sticks around them and they live it. They don't intellectualize the music, you know, like half chords and harmonies and how to sing it and what notes. They don't know how to read notes or anything. But you listen to them and it's like full of heart. So this is generally speaking about music, what it should what it should be like in order to have healing properties before we even talk about technicalities, what could we do? It's just that idea that it needs to be readily available. People going, going to the backyard or using their own voice, they don't really need to be musicians, you know, to play guitar and drums and this. It's good if you're a musician. But I have many patients musicians and they're actually very sick and they play all their life 10 hours a day. <laughs> didn't, didn't get cured yet. So not, not that I put down music. Music is very beautiful and has merit of making people happy and so forth. But I think using music as medicine is very special. And this idea, like this African tribes, just to use something that is readily available to you and it's in your culture and you use it to get healing, especially with your voice, which is very close to the heart, is something that is very special. So now more technically, if we had a couple of minutes, I can share with you the more technical aspect of it, uh, how, to, how we go about music and healing. But, but I don't want just to keep on talking. And I don't know, maybe you guys left already the conversation. We're still here. We're, um, we're conscious of the time because we know that you've got... Um... Yeah, no, my kids are going to come in and then it's going to be real music. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll make the, uh, the episode more authentic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No, but, but just, just but... in a nutshell... I'll tell you just in a few words, the music principle is also a circle principle around the heart. And I recognize that using common songs uh, that people really like, they need to sift through songs that they really like. There are two different kinds of songs and uh, one that have a, what we call FH, uh, fast and high, fast rhythm and high pitches, you know, like high voice. And there is the SNL, the slow and low, like it's slow rhythm and the and it's low basses. And this has a certain vibration on our circle. On the top left is the fast and high, and on the bottom right is the slow and low. And and here yet we didn't talk about the circle and all the different meanings include there. But we try to use this different kinds of music when a person goes off center and therefore his energy start to depart his body. So let's say if you induce my dichotomy to fire up and I get really angry, the energy now is not anymore inside my body, but rather it start to, to leak out or to fork out of the circle. Like it's going outside of the circle. And therefore, if I get really, really angry for some extended period of time, at the end, I feel wiped out emotionally much more wiped out than if I exercise physically on a treadmill for five hours. Meaning you exercise physically, you feel physically tired, but this emotional tiredness feels very, very different. So if the energy starts to leak outside of the body, it's either in the fast and high part of the circle where I get really angry or agi agitated, anxious, that kind of thing, or it can leak on the bottom right of the circle 
where the, the tempo is much slower. So instead of being calm and relaxed and serene, I start to feel very depressed and melancholy. This is like at our bottom right side of the circle. That's where it leaks from that side of the circle. So it looks like you're in meditation, but really you just curled on the bed depressed. And in depression, you feel like the life is being sucked out of you. It's not like in, in a state of calm. State of calm, you look the same speed as someone who is melancholy, but you feel very happy and content and energetic. Like if you need to induce a movement, you have a lot of energy to do it. If you're depressed, you feel like you don't want to move anymore to an extreme, don't want to live anymore. So now we're starting to use music using common songs, you know, like all kinds of songs like Happy by Pharrell and things like that, that belongs to the culture, like these Africans in Africa. But so we use songs that are fast and high and slow and low. And we have a method of doing transitions between the two, that if someone gets angry, he start listening few songs and do some meditation in between. And his energy start to go back into the circle. And all of a sudden he goes to the proper position. The proper position in the circle of the heart is that I feel either calm, serene, or happy when I'm excited. Like I'm doing stuff, like now I'm talking, my heart is in it, and I feel really happy. And you can do it for hours and hours and hours and you don't get tired, like the energy does not leak out of the body. Or if I got nothing to do, let's say we finish the session, I'm not keep on talking to the computer and nobody's listening to me, but rather I come down and now I'm very serene and calm, which is also a happy state. And the energy still stays inside the body. So we're trying to initially help people when they're off the circle, use music to go back into the circle. But then from there, there's, there's much more moves. This is like the first move, how to start using music from a superficial way with regular songs. But, but the people, of course, need to choose the songs first, not when they're upset or depressed. They need to choose three favorite songs of FH and SL and then we have that method to when they get upset or when they get depressed, they start using, moving from the bottom right to the top left of the circle until they go back into the center. So this is just in few words about the first step of how to use music in order to get back into a state that where you're happy and inside the circle. That's great. I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this. I'm... Um... My mind is going fast forward about 10 steps into, into uh, what I'll be doing next now that I've learned this new info. It's great. Yeah, so, but, I, I, you know, like when I research that and practice it and I tell some patients to do it, think about it. This concept is unbelievable. You do medicine and it's fun. Since one is medicine fun. You go to a doctor, it's always depressive. You're sick. You, it's the worst. You have to take these drugs. You have to do the surgeries. And then you thank God that you went to see the doctor that he's saving you from your misery. Here it's like completely different. Like be happy, restore the heart, restore the harmony. And you put the headset on, listen to your favorite song, do some breathing in between and some other things. And then you feel happy at the end. And, you know, don't get sick. And it's happy. The medicine is happy. Like what a concept. It's like a revolution. Be happy and medicine. So how... So we, you obviously there's a really big focus on on the heart in Hunyuan medicine. Does that also translate into the way that you're prescribing herbs and acupuncture treatments? 
Well, what we're looking for in Hunyuan medicine is the proper measure. And the proper measure is different in each case. So if, if really someone has a problem in the body or in the energy in the body, sometimes just using herbs is the proper measure. And then we don't talk about the heart, even though it's good to be happy regardless. But if it's not where the problem comes from, then we don't need to address it. It's not that we always do the heart, it doesn't matter what. But the thing is that in our modern society for adults, not, I'm not talking about one-year-olds, for adults the heart always plays a big role, not always, but in the majority of cases of chronic debilitating diseases, I'm not talking about catching a cold. You have diabetes, you have rheumatoid arthritis, you have all kinds of things that nobody knows where in the world this is coming from. And they try to medicate them, drug them, I don't know what, give surgery, do all kinds of aggressive measures that ends up in nothing. In such cases, and in it's many, many cases, you know, addressing the heart, at least concurrently with the medicine, is very, very useful. But many times, if you have really good moves that you can do with the heart, you actually don't need to medicate them. So for me, in Hun Yuan, it was always that principle, that one principle that I never forget. You need to try to accomplish more with less. So if you can really just talk to a person and you cure their cancer, then don't give them chemo. I'm saying if you could, I'm not saying that I can, but if you could, it's by far superior. Let's say you can cure a disease with drugs or with talking. You should always do just the talking. Mm. If, you, if you can do it, if you can't, you can't. And most of the situation with medicine today is that you can't. That's why you have to do drugs and surgery. You simply got nothing else. But I'm trying to introduce something or develop it, and I'm always in a, in a quest to try to make it more with less, you know. I like this idea of just, you know, applying the proper measure and that that's the medicine. Um, <clears throat> there's a concept in one of the principles of the Hawaiian shamanic tradition for healing is that effectiveness is the measure of truth. So this is, you know, this is what it brings up for me when you describe this, that well, what is the true medicine in this circumstance is really the thing that works. And someone may try 20 things when there's only two that are going to work. Yeah, but, but, so. but, I, think, but I think more than that, that's true. The efficacy is ultimately what decides if something has merit or not. But again, is if you can get more efficacy with less, it's superior. So for example, when I sit sometime with patients and I need I need some heart measure to, to undo all the frustrations from the IVF clinics, you know, if I see fertility patients. So we talk, we talk, we talk, and sometimes I get to the point to tell them, look, more or less my success rate in IVF for different age groups is about the same, more or less, and which is not that great. The IVF success rate is not that great. It's just that I help patients get pregnant by drinking cinnamon and ginger. They put loads of drugs and surgeries and laparoscopies and things, and at the end we get the same success, the same effect, effect in the sense of success rate. Actually, the cinnamon and the ginger are by far superior because I'm using nothing, relatively speaking. Mm, I love so that. Not, so it's not at the end who gets the more 3%. It's rather who can do more with less. This is, in my mind, the real uh, challenge. You know, it's not like at the end. Look, we do surgeries, we cut them 
into 100 pieces and it worked. So fine, it worked, it's good that it's worked, but it's really, we need to try to, to get more effect with less. Less, I mean, less aggressiveness on the body, less doing things that putting the person out of harmony instead of into harmony, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, less interventions. But but that's but that's yeah. why the heart is very very powerful, and people don't think that it's even medicine. It's like they don't really know what to do. But but if you can get people to have a remedy without giving them anything, not even acupuncture, but they still got cured or better, then this is by far superior, you know. And again, many times we cannot, and if we cannot, or if it's not the proper measure, you know, like if someone catches a cold. And you can give them acupuncture and solve it within a day and you start talking to them for two months to their heart this is not the proper measure so some things there you know the herbs and acupuncture are definitely the proper measure but this is what we also learn in Hunyuan medicine that's part of the medicine what's the difference between what we call principal disease and functional disease like when the body is not working and it makes your heart in agony and versus the heart is not working and makes the body not work you know they both always uh, impact each other and the practitioner needs to be able to differentiate where is the origin of the problem and that's how he knows what's the proper measure to. Mm. Um, this, this kind of topic is my favorite topic but it really does lead me to my most nonverbal state and I find it really difficult to talk about it but I find that we do so many podcasts where we end up discussing, you know, these kind of more deeper internal cultivations in medicine, I think, because that, you know, that's what Claire and I are doing. But um, I'm really intrigued by one of your notes that you've sent through to us. Um, you've written unification ability, recharging from the womb to post heaven. And I'm wondering if you can tell me what that's all about. Well, this belongs to the medicine part. <clears throat> where we are trying to figure out like how to look at the, the at the body different than just looking at it as a table, you know, like as a piece of material, because we are really after the life of the person. What does it mean to be alive? That kind of thing. Not just what does it mean to have a body? And this is where this understanding of unification, separation comes from. We are fall, we're falling back on that same principle that I talked about at the beginning, the Taiji circular principle being connected to the universe is a circular action. That's why we go to sleep and wake up. Everything that we do repetitively means a circular action. That's like a circle. And there are many, many different things that we do. And when we're alive, a circle is the dominant principle. But we, so just looking at the body, instead of looking at it as a piece of material, the lungs, the heart, and this, we say that everything in the body, all the physicality of the body is for one purpose, is to synchronize with nature cyclical motion, like to separate, like the sun comes up and nature separates. And then when the sun comes down and everybody goes to become dormant, this go called, you know, going towards unification, my body has to synchronize with it, right? So before Fiona, I think, mentioned syncing, synchronizing. The body is like a syncing machine. It syncs my body with nature. It's not like a a, a, a cup or something that is a, a dead vessel. A living vessel means something that sinks. 
with nature and this is with the cyclical emotions of unification and separation. Separation is like on the left side of the circle going towards the top and the unification is on the right side of the circle going towards the bottom. Now aside from the body sinking with nature, I realized that this issue of aging, you know, going through life and then I look older and older and older, the body itself keeps on doing the same functions of separating, which means reaching out to nature, and unification is bringing nature into the body, like reaching out to the apple and then bringing the apple, putting it into the body. This is separation and unification. I make an external connection when I reach out to nature outside to the apple, and when I take the energy from the apple and it becomes mine, this is called internal connection on the circle, the top and the bottom of the circle. But I realize also that as we go throughout life, I'm five-year-old, 10, 20, 50, 60, 80, 90, even though I keep on doing the same thing, I reach out to nature and I bring nature into me to unify with it. To unify means to make the energy mine. This ability decline with the years, the ability dwindles. And this is where we start to develop, and it's not unique to us, but rather it started more from Zheng Qing'an and Liu Yuan from what I study from them, but they had different language, different ideas, all talking about the same thing. They say the person has an ability to submerge heaven into him, has an ability to take life and make it his own, but this ability is limited, is what they would call one mouthful of chi. You just have a limited ability to have a life. This is what I call in English the unification ability, the ability to unify with nature. To take an apple, take the energy from the apple and convert the energy, not the material, the energy of the apple to become mine, to become my life. So you look at me, you don't say, oh, you look like you have an apple energy in you, but rather you say, that's your life. This conversion of the energy from nature, from food, water and air, etc., into becoming mine own life, this is what we call unification ability. And as we go throughout life, age 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, this ability declines. And that's the meaning of me getting older. When I'm 80 year old versus when I'm five year old, I'm eating the same apple. The apple has the same energy. It's not like we give apples with less energy to older people. It's the same energy, it's just that my body cannot assimilate that energy from it, the life from the apple, the true nature in the apple or in ancient time they would say the heaven in the apple. My body cannot assimilate this or not as much like the five-year-old. And that's why the older person feels like there's not energy, has to rest, can't jump like the five-year-old kid anymore. And also the amount of cycles left, cycles like days and years, the amount of cycles left becoming less and less and less and less until at the end, in the last moment, the person feels as if they there's no more air, but the air is exactly the same. It's just the body cannot take it anymore. So now when we talk about medicine, what is the real objective of medicine? Is this what we call number one? Number one is the unification ability of the person. And so we develop techniques. If it's with acupuncture, we call it unification acupuncture. If it's with herbs, there are certain formulas and combination of herbs that we call unification formulas, me measures that can help people get their unification ability stronger if it is weak. Now, if it's not weak, we cannot use it. So for example, if it's a five-year-old kid, we cannot give them unification formula 
because it's going to start to offset the whole body and will have dire consequences. But anyone who is 25 or 30 years old or later and is not a monk in the mountains, regular lifestyle where they get stressed all day and the heart is pouring energy all day and they work really hard mentally and physically, this oftentimes in my clinic, like 90 or 95% of the time, definitely could use help with number one. Number one means with their unification ability. So we have these measures, the, again, unification formulas, and the herbs are very common. You know, it's the same theme with Hunyan, very common. Different kinds of cinnamon that we use that are very strong, prepared licorice that we prepare ourselves to, to feel in a certain way, so we don't really get Chinatown licorice. And then uh, fennel seeds and dangui, they create slightly little separation and help in the unification formula, not to have too much unification. We use uh, shan yao, like Chinese yam. We use very common herbs. We don't use anything exotic, anything that only you can buy from China. This, we like to use common stuff, you know, that at the end, the people that drink these unification formula, not only do they feel that during the day they have much more energy and many ailments are also solved by getting stronger. But after they stop the herbs for many, many months, sometimes years, you know, they still feel great unless, you know, they abuse their, their life in different ways. But that's why we also explain to them about body and heart so they don't abuse their life and run out of juice fast. But this is, this is the whole issue of medicine, how to consider the body, which we call number two, and how to restore the harmony of the body with acupuncture or herbs, how to put the body on speed, on the right speed, but then also the issue of unification, how to increase number one. And that's where Hunyuan medicine is revolving, the number one and two, how to understand the body being in sync or not in sync, and how can you do with acupuncture, herbs, or massage, or other things to restore that body sinking. But more than that, how to analyze and understand the unification ability and if that needs help. So just summarizing this with one example, which I often use, let's say we have what we call a slowdown in the concealed separation. This in Chinese, we call the Yin part. If there's a slowdown that has the symptoms like painful periods for a woman with blood clots, if we use herbs that increase separation, that will speed up that part of the circle and the symptom of the painful periods will become less and less, which is a good thing. It restores the body being on time. However, if we forget about number one, which is at the bottom of the circle, and we keep on separating, because oftentimes if we get good results, we keep on doing the same thing, thinking that it's better if we keep on doing it then the unification ability at the bottom start to deplete because we keep on speeding up the body even if we passed the proper measure. We passed the center. We passed the middle point where we should stop. We think the patient say, hey, it's much less painful. The period is so great. I'm happy to come here for another 10 months. And we keep on separating them. Then gradually you start seeing the unification decreases. And I've seen it many times in clinic people coming after having such treatment. They said, at first it was great. The period was regulating, everything was great. But then I started feeling tired. Then I don't sleep well at night. Then I feel this and that and the other. Like we just go over the proper measure. So this is uh, also you know, specific in Hunyuan, how to realize the whole circle is one and two. It's not just remedying the symptoms of the body to make it feel no pain and aches, 
but how to restore the ability to unify and get stronger and strong life as much as possible. And this is again just with herbs and acupuncture on the what we call water outer circle or the physical body. When it comes to the fire inner circle, which is the heart department, then this is all where the heart is. There's like a whole other world in itself. You know, you know it's so important to um, you know consider dosage is not just how many grams of herbs per you know per bag of of herbs that you're giving to someone it's it's also that the right duration well actually the dosage is in honyuan medicine is uh, very very developed and uh, very very important because what we are striving to strive when we do practical medicine like with herbs and acupuncture is again to reach the proper measure like what's exactly enough so because the circle for us is very clear and symptoms where they are on the circle if they speed it up or slow it down are also very clear for the Hunyuan practitioner when and, and I'll just tell you a side story one time a practitioner called it and I now and again I use the same story but it's kind of fun one practitioner called me said hey I heard about your course and I just finished the Shang Hanun course with 280 formulas and I was just wondering how many formulas you have and I said, well, actually in Hunyuan, we only have one formula, like a unification formula. So then there was like silence on the other line. <laughs> and the practitioner didn't receive it too well, thought maybe I'm joking. But actually, I'm not joking. We really try to figure out how to do unification. But then we need to know how to harmonize the entire circle, which basically means add or reduce herbs or change the dosage in different parts of the circle. So if, for example, the top right side of the circle where the food start to enter the body starts slowing down, there'll be symptom, what we call separation concealed inward symptom in Chinese. It's the Yang Ming symptoms where you start feeling hot, you can feel nauseous, you know, you can be constipated, uh, sweat and things like that. If you have a herb, like we use regular Gansao, not prepared, regular Gansao or Baishao or Jimu. These are the three main herbs that you, we use to speed up the Yang Ming. We don't have many herbs, just these three. Maybe there's one or two more. The dose that we use is completely determined by, by how slow that department is. So if someone, for example, feels a little hot, in, in addition to the entire formula, we just use five grams Shen Gansao, but if, some, if someone feels like more hot, we use 20 grams. If someone feels really, really hot, we can use 100 grams in the one formula. So the range that we use is from 5 grams to 200 grams on one herb to change the dose. It's not anymore 3 or 6 grams. It's a very, very big difference. And this is like when I learned Zheng Qing'an in the Fire Spirit School, and he used to use a lot of foodze. He said, when I use 100 gram foodze, if nothing happens, I double down. I put 200 grams. It's not like I don't know what I'm doing. It's just it was not strong enough. It's clear what's the problem. I just need to put more oomph in it, like more strength. And it's different than, you know, maybe the way I used to practice Chinese medicine originally, which is more kind of trying to shoot in all kinds of directions. You know, so for Hunyuan medicine, I would say using herbs and acupuncture, after we learn it for a little bit, things become very, very clear. Like, why is a person thirsty? Why do they feel hot? What's the difference between feeling dry, 
skin and, and dry mouth, you know, all the symptoms are actually very, very clear. Where are they in the circle? And then the different severity of the symptoms and how long they are, the duration of the symptoms determine how fast or slow that department is, you know. And I normally use the example of speed, like saying, let's say the, the young Ming or that separation concealed top right of the circle supposed to move in 40 kilometers an hour if you feel a little nauseous it's 35 kilometers if more nauseous is 30 25 kilometers very nauseous is 20 10 you start throwing up so you have like this idea like a dial how fast or slow it is by the severity and and being chronic or not chronic of the symptoms but this is again it's a little superficial overview of the situation with the herbs acupuncture in our circle in medicine but there's there's more to it and that's why you know right now we use six months to do the course but we really need you know like a more comprehensive course to dig it so students that used to do the old courses up to this year typically they repeat it another year the second year it's much clearer the third year it's really clear but you know going forward we'll change it to a three years course and i think it's gonna you know make very good practitioners it sounds great and no you go Fee. I was just gonna say I think it will make very good practitioners. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we'll try. Well and I'm sure that anyone who's listened to this episode will have a, a very clear idea of what they are potentially in for with the course and hopefully gives people an understanding of whether or not it would be um, useful for them to study with you. Yeah, but, uh, you know, thank you for, for for doing this, spreading spreading knowledge and this. I think it's wonderful what you guys are doing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's it's It spreads so much knowledge back to us. Yeah. We get to sit down and have a big conversation with you today. You know, that's so educational and with all of our other guests. Um, yeah, so it's definitely a circular um, endeavor. And a Taiji principle, it's a circle. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Thank, well, you. thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Um, yeah. Do we have any questions? From We've got, anyone who's we've with got us? Live, live listeners today, but um, so far no questions. Okay. No questions coming through. I think these topics just give us so much to take in and to let it kind of settle into the body and formulate. Sometimes, you know, there's not so many immediate questions. I definitely find that experience that I just want to sit here and kind of go, mmm, yeah. <laughs> feel the chi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I feel, I feel, you know, very happy. Uh, to be here I'm kind of like you know normally when I talk about it I'm all fired up and I can go on and on forever but it's also the proper measure for people just listening first times not to overload them until you know right take it anymore right. <laughs> it's like so if you have if you have any oh sorry we spoke at the same time what did you say Claire I was having my own little private joke over here I said it's like trying to drink from a fire hose if you have too much <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of thing yeah well you're, you're talking about transmission as well you know so where this this kind of skill and and 
in terms of teaching a course and I understand that you need to make the course longer simply because it's going to take people especially people who are new to it that long to get something really in their body to really embody that as a, a way of being well you know you know when I when I thought about doing this course which is still requires for me to develop this course and uh, you know a massive amount of, of effort but I thought I only want to teach courses that I'm really, really happy. So even if nobody's going to show up and it's just going to be me by myself, talking to myself, I'll be very happy. And it's that kind of a curriculum. Yeah. Well, if we have, when we uh, put this out, I'm sure there will be some listeners who can join in the conversation if they want to. Um, comment on anything please put that on our Facebook page and Yaron if you have any um, written resources that you would like to share with us or digital resources that Claire could put up with the, the episode uh, that's something that we can also do to share with people sure actually maybe I want to mention that there's some parts now that I'm translating from I translated from the Huayshan and I have quite a few students from around the world helping me translating it in nine so far in nine languages so maybe when I have all the translation we'll see when it happens I can share some with you in different languages and maybe everybody around the world can read it wow you know, in Spanish French Arabic Albanian Romanian there's all kind of languages there what a great resource mm -hmm. yeah well there's some unification <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I can just add one little practical thing. If people want to try to do mini unification formula for themselves, just take a piece of ginger, a piece of licorice, and a piece of cinnamon, and make a tea out of it. That's a mini unification that you can enjoy without any diagnosis or anything. Oh, that's a great idea. I, I might go and make some now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> When we post this episode up on Facebook, Yaren, we hope that you'll be able to respond to any uh, listener questions or comments that people might have. Um, and if our listeners, if you're wanting to join in on the conversation and provide your insights and your reflections on today's episode, we'd love to hear from you via our Facebook page. Sure. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Okay. Bye for now. All right. All right. Bye-bye.